0: going on college Hoop says this is another edition of the one and done podcast with steven bagel and john simpson i am one half of your host the uglier half by the way um i am here i'm here with john simpson as always i'm also here with michael derosa from road to the garden from the hoops enterprise network and the dinga and derosa podcast so first of all john how are you doing today
1: i'm doing great man uh, glad to be here uh Good. It's been a while since we got together. We've been busy, so nice to kind of talk a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's been, uh, I think, a little over two weeks since our last show, and I think this is really the first, like, two weeks that we've taken off since this podcast launched. So, um, obviously, a lot has transpired since then. So, because of that, we want to kind of do a Big East-centric episode. John and I were super high on the Big East coming into the year, actually, at least at the top. And it looks like it's actually deeper than we anticipated. So. We brought on, as I said, we were here with Michael J. Rosa. He is, again, a writer for Road to the Garden. Current Butler student slash Georgetown fan. Um, yes, Michael, sir. how are you doing today?
2: You know, I'm doing well. It's it's always fun to talk hoops. So, always doing well whenever I'm talking ball.
0: So, John and I want to do a Bracketology show coming up. Because, obviously, it's February 1st. And March Madness is... Obviously, a month away. So, as I said, a lot has transpired since our last episode that I haven't had the opportunity to talk about. So, Michael's here to join us. We're going to talk about a lot of the tournament team hopes in the Big East. We're going to talk about the DePaul job opening. Obviously, that's transpired since our last episode. We'll talk about a couple of things. So, first of all, Michael, I'm assuming while Ed Coley's return Was to Providence. Okay, I was going to say, okay, I wasn't in Georgetown. Um, What was your thoughts? I mean, did you have the opportunity to watch that game?
2: Yeah, I was watching that game. Yeah.
0: So, I wasn't there. And, John, I don't know what you've heard regarding anything about Ed Coley's return. I heard from multiple people, again, just people in the media, that Providence was rowdy. There was some fuck Ed Coley chants, everything along those lines. But they were respectful. Nothing got out of hand. The biggest thing I can think of that like, compares to Ed Coley's return to Providence was when Chris Beard returned to Texas Tech as Texas's coach. Um, and I know that didn't go over as smoothly as this one. So, I, I mean, I guess just the overall sentiment, as someone who grew up in D.C. and a Georgetown fan, Michael, what, I mean, what, what do you think of Ed Coley uh, as a coach? And, I mean, do you think Georgetown is a better job than Providence at this point? 100%.
2: Yeah, it just did a better job. Uh, But in terms of the return itself, I don't think it lived up to Beard's return. I think mainly because when Beard returned, and I think this has to be part of it, those were two really good teams. Like, that Texas Tech team ended up being a three seed in the tournament, I believe somewhere around that range, something like that. And that Texas team he had was really talented, too. Those were, like, like, two really good teams. And I just think it was louder. I think ESPN did a better job with that game than Fox did with this game. I think Fox in general does an all right job with the Big East, but... I think with this game, they really like dimmed the natural sound. So at one point, I just listened to the Georgetown radio broadcast because I was walking over to a Butler game that I was uh, working, and the radio broadcast did a much because they can't really like cut out natural sound on the radio because it's radio. Uh, It did a much better job of like actually capturing like the environment and like what Ed Cooley was walking into. But I think on the Fox broadcast, they really dimmed the natural sound, so you like you couldn't really feel it. And considering the entire pitch of this game was the environment, that kind of bummed me out. I can't lie.
0: So I listened to, and John, I'll um, ask you in a minute, but I was listening to, again, I know this is probably controversial, everything that's transpired. I was listening to the Field of 68 when they were live at um Providence, essentially. And those fans were, I think they did it in stadium or at one of the local balls on campus. They were loud, like over the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, that lines up again. I know you talked about everything regarding radio of how loud it was. Sean, did you have the opportunity to watch this game?
1: So I did watch some of it, and what got me was, um, like, just kind of being on X before the game started and seeing some of the updates that people were posting and talking about, you know, the the overall mood and provenance around campus and stuff. and. how early some of the parties were starting you know and like how rowdy the student section was like coming into the game i think i saw a picture of like the uh uh you know people like falling on the ground trying to get into the student section and stuff like that you know outside of the game and stuff so i think they really i don't know how much of that was like really the vibe that was there or how much was just like uh you know trying to get the hype up for the game and stuff like that uh publicity type deal but um, I did watch the game. I mean, I think that that prop to me. I haven't never been there in my life. I feel like that Providence gym is one that kind of really does have a lot of energy in it for some of these games. Um, I enjoy watching uh, Big East basketball, even though I am a Tobacco Road man myself. But like, um, <clears throat> it seems like the the energy is really high in there, and uh, and it's I could see a lot of that going throughout that game. And it was a good basketball game too. Um, I think great both teams kind of rose, rose up for that game, you know, and I think, and I think that Cooley handed it really well. Too. There was a point,
0: I think, with a, what, like, seven, eight, nine minutes lap where Georgetown was winning, and I thought there was a legitimate shot that, you know, that, that Cooley was going to do it, essentially, and pull off the upset. Um, I will note that there were pictures on tw- on Twitter, X, whatever the hell it's called nowadays, of the stadium out at like 8 a.m. the morning of the game. And there were thousands of students there. I mean, it was pretty um pretty incredible to see. So, okay. In terms of the DePaul job. We saw Tony Stubblefield lose his job, and, yeah. So, John, we haven't had the opportunity to talk about this, and obviously you know that you, myself, and Julian kind of did the whole, oh, five years from now, who's coaching what, um, you know, who's coaching what team, essentially, five, every high major job. DePaul, obviously, is the first one since we did that episode that became available. And before we talk about the potential candidates, you and I talked about this a little bit last night, and Michael and myself talked a little bit about this last night as well, in terms of DePaul's kind of, and by kind of, I mean definitely, the low man on the totem pole, in terms of the job search. So, I mean, John, you and I made an extensive list the other day just texting, of the extensive job openings. I mean, we're talking about... Indiana, Michigan, um, maybe USC with Andy Enfield. We don't know. If Jerome Tang gets a better drop for Kansas State, if Texas has go with Terry, Villanova. I mean, there's so many that's just to name a few. There's so many potential openings that we have in terms of high major great coaching jobs. That these coaches, sure, I'm sure they'll interview with DePaul some of them, but they're not going to take that job until they see that they can't get something better. So with that said, I assembled a list of coaches for the DePaul job. And John, I'll ask you first. Um, I don't know if you have the list in front of you or not, but who do you want to see take that DePaul job? Do you want me to read the names we have?
1: Let's just read them for the listeners.
0: Okay. So will Wade is the obvious one. Obviously he's at McNeese. He'll take a major job somewhere. I think when we did our, um, Coaching episode predictions five years from now. I think I put Will Wade to Clemson actually, which hey, who the hell knows? If Clemson ends up not making missing, ends up missing the tournament after how great of a year they got off to, maybe Will Wade is a coach of Clemson. Maybe he's a coach of Louisville. I think he's gonna get a better job than DePaul, but we had to put him on the list. Um, Bryce Drew, same thing. I think he's gonna get Arizona State, but I think he's a candidate for DePaul. Bobby Hurley, current Arizona State, Brian Wardle from Bradley. Drew Valentine from Loyola, Chicago, obviously has a Chicago ties. Porter Moser, there's been murmurs that he wants to leave Oklahoma, and obviously he has a Chicago ties. Darren DeVries is going to be considered for every high major job. Alan Huss from High Point. Josh Schertz from Indiana State. Takeo Siddle from UNC Wilmington. Brian Mullins from South Illinois. And this is one that Michael added to the list when I sent to him yesterday. Ron Hunter from Tulane, who I adore. Um. So, John, let's start with you. Who do you want to see get this DePaul job? And if there's somebody else that you think of that we didn't name, feel free to throw them out as well.
1: So, uh, the first thing I want to say is, I know that there's been some talk of DePaul being I mean, kind of like a low man on the totem Paul job. I don't think that it's that, that bad of a job. I like the DePaul job. And the reason I like it is because with conference realignment and the Big Ten and the Big 12, it's going to be really hard to be at the top of one of those conferences. And I think some of those jobs, like a mid job in the Big Ten and and uh, the Big Twelve, might not be as good as some of these opportunities in the Big East. And I think that DePaul is a team that has won before, and they're they're in Chicago. Um, they say they're spending money on their practice facility. I mean, aren't they building a new practice facility at DePaul? I think um, that I don't understand. They're, they're saying that there's, you know. The word is that the money for NIL is there. The money for a coach is there. So it might be a little bit more appealing job than I think we're giving it credit for. Um, number one on my list. I would love to see him go go there just because I don't know. I don't know if it's been long enough yet that somebody like Clemson is going to bring him straight there. Maybe. I mean, he's not doing anything. that's not, you know, so I think that, uh, Will Wade would be a home run if they were able to to bring him in there. Um, and then I like Josh Hurts a lot. I think that he's a Midwest guy. And uh, he's done a great job of, like, program building at Indiana State. Um, and that's what I think somebody needs to do. Somebody, they need somebody that can come in there and kind of take their time and build a team. Brian Wardle is another one. I think great program builder. I don't know. Hurley Brothers coaching in, uh in the big East would be fun. You know, I think it would be, that's a draw. That's a money draw. It's a ticket draw. stuff about like that? And I think Bobby Hurley is a good coach. I mean, we keep on wanting to, to, uh, to kick him out of Arizona state, you know, I mean, somehow he keeps on hanging on to that job, you know, and, and with a lot less resources, I think, than a lot of the other teams in the conference have. So I think he'd be a good guy there. Um, the only other guy that I can think of that's not on this list that interests me that I talk about everybody every job I think is Chris Mack. I think he would be uh you know, bring him into the back into the big east. I think that would be a cool job for him. I think he would do a good job there. But I feel like maybe he recently said that he's not ready to come back yet or he has not he's he's not planning on coming back or checking the job yet, like maybe a few months ago or something, maybe soon, I don't know. So um that would be interesting uh so yeah i don't know it's i like that they went ahead and 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 fired stubblefield so they can start on the coaching search because i feel like they know that they don't want to be looking for a coach at the exact same time as all these other teams are and like they want to be able to go ahead and get all that other stuff out of the way so you know they can be ready to hire a coach you know as soon as the season goes.
0: So, Michael, I think, did you tell me last night that DePaul hasn't made the tournament since they've been in the Big East?
2: Yep. Uh, the last so, tournament bid was when they were in the CUSA. Okay. Something
3: like that. So,
0: yeah. I'm assuming you have a rebuttal to John's argument that DePaul is not as bad of a job as we're making it out to be.
2: I mean, I think it's the worst job in the Big East. I think definitely, I think at this point, I don't think we can almost, like, debate that. And I, I don't know, like, I saw a name like Richard Patino some people were throwing up, but, like, I don't see why he would take the DePaul job over New Mexico. Like, I don't see why he'd want to leave that, particularly because he's, like, built that New Mexico program into something. Versus DePaul, you're, like, you got a long way to climb to even, like, get to respectability. It's been a while since DePaul's had, like, a respectable season. Even when they had a Max Struz or a Paul Reed on the team, those teams still weren't good. And those two guys were getting legit minutes in the NBA right now. So when I look at this DePaul job, I think Josh Schertz is probably the guy because I don't know if many other high majors are going to try to, who are opening this cycle, are going to really look at Schertz. Schertz is a Midwest guy, and I think he can get them respectable immediately. You're going to need someone who can grow the NIL, of course. I don't know if that's Schertz's expertise, but he can coach basketball. And I think that matters at the end of the day. Uh, You mentioned some of the other names. I don't need to run them all down, but like, I don't know. I feel like he'd be a more inspired hire to me than a Bobby Hurley who... I mean, his Arizona State teams are, like, fine. And maybe part of it is just burnout because he's an East Coast guy. Now he's going West. And, like, he's recruiting a lot of New York kids to Arizona State. So, like, that's weird. Maybe you can get more to DePaul. And maybe you do a better job with getting talent at DePaul. But I don't know. I don't know. I feel like Shirts would be is my lead target. And, of course, if you can get Will Wade, that's a home run. He'd make them DePaul respectable as soon as he could. So. I think Wade would be a home run. I mean, the amount of talent he was able to get at McNeese State is crazy. If you're recruiting at DePaul, DePaul's a better job than McNeese State. You're getting more talent at DePaul than you will at McNeese State. So I think those are a couple names, but I think Shirts should be the number one in my eyes. The realistic number one.
0: So my realistic number one is, for me, Bryce Drew. I mean, the fact that Bryce Drew was able to get recruits at fucking Grand Canyon University... Uh, I think that's a testament to his ability to recruit. And I, I think if you get a guy like him that's able to recruit and a guy that also knows basketball, well, the NIL is going to come. That, that's my feeling. Um, I think Bryce Drew might get a better job than DePaul, though. I mean, again, we talk about all those openings that potentially become available. Wouldn't Bryce Drew go to one of those Mountain West jobs if, you know, Dutcher San Diego State, or Med Valley's Colorado State, or Alford Lee's Nevada? Maybe would you rather have one of those mountain? Uh, Mike just brought up Richard Petino? Why would he want to leave New Mexico when, at this point, the Mountain West isn't you know they'll basically consider a power conference, especially with the um with the Pac twelve dissolving. Um, Richard Petino, though, in terms of what I just said, I could see like once those coaches in the Mountain West like Dutcher, like Medved, like Alford. I could see that job, those jobs all of a sudden, the Mountain West diminishing if those coaches leave, and then, sure, Patino stays in New Mexico, he's really the last man standing. Uh, I don't know what those programs are without those coaches, unfortunately. Um, I hope they' still relevant, of course, I do, but uh, I think those are some of the better coaches among our mid majors in the mountain west, of course. so but yeah, my my guy's Bryce drew for. DePaul. Uh, again, uh, I also like Brian Wardle. I think that's who I had when we did our coaching predictions five years from now, because I saw that as an immediate fit because I assumed Stubblefield was going to be fired. And no one's talking about how good Bradley is. Obviously, they're in a conference with Indiana State and Drake. So they're kind of falling at the wayside a little bit in terms of, you know, being the third best team in that conference. But Bradley's good. What are they? 16 and six? They're really good.
3: Yeah. Okay.
0: Speaking of NIL and maybe the Paul not having as much, let's shift to Villanova. Because Villanova has a $3 million roster. Obviously, we saw them bring in immense talents. They brought in Hakeem Hart from Maryland, Tyler Burden from the um, A-10, Lance Ware from Kentucky who doesn't even play for them. Uh, They brought in a whole slew of guys. Obviously, uh, T.J. Bomba, Washington State. I I know I'm probably forgetting one or two because they brought in a very early transfer class. But they've lost six of the last seven, and the one win was over DePaul, who obviously has not won a big East game yet. John, let me start with you again. One, what the hell is wrong with this Villanova team? And is it too soon to fire Kyron Neptune?
3: I think maybe it's a
1: case of like too many transfers almost on a team um, but I mean you look at other teams and, it's, and, it's, and they've been able to make it work out it's hard it's hard to put my finger because last year you know it was well you know Neptune's got big shoes to fill he's you know trying to figure out the squad and everything and they have injuries and all that and um, it's got blown out by St. John's you know, and, like, like obviously, like, St. John's has been playing better, but I don't think St. John's is that great either, you know, compared to what they should be. And uh, I don't know. If you ask me, I don't think it's too soon to follow the Parakel of Neptune. Um, but I don't think that Villanova's going to Parakel. You know, I think he's got at least another year. Um, and then in the same, you know, we kind of look at – at North Carolina this year and the way we were call- people were calling for Hubert Davis's head this time last year. And the turnaround that North Carolina has been able to make this year and Hubert Davis as a coach I think has been able to make this year. Just kind of getting the right players together. Um you know, so what do you know? You give up to another year and kind of see what, what they can do. The the only thing is is um, you know, we're talking about the big east. I think that everybody is kind of getting better in the big and villanova is not good um and i was i know i was really high i might have had Villanova win this conference this year i'm going kind of talk about they're they're one of the top teams in the conference for me this year when we did our preseason predictions and they are just not living up to it and then you know they go play a nail-biter with uconn so it's not like the talent's not there um it's just not a team that you know you can really count on Let's see and, and i think there's a there's a lot of them they're not Hitting shots, I mean, obviously you got to hit shots in the basketball games. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much of a coaching thing that is, you know, but, um, yeah, it's it's disappointing. Um, I think Nippon's got another year to see uh, much from that. And then, I mean, that's – you know, the NIL's there, the tradition's there, the, they're in the, the biggies. I think, you know, we might be talking next year about this being one of the top jobs in soccer.
0: Uh, or, I mean, they turn around. But. So, they, as I said, they did lose six or seven with the one lone win being over DePaul. They lost to St. John's twice by double digits. They lost twice to Marquette. They lost to UConn. And they had a double overtime loss to Butler. So, it's not like it's been a total disaster. It, there's a good shot that every single one of those six teams they lost, well, obviously, I guess four teams they lost to, two of them they played twice. Those are the just shots that all those teams are tournament teams. But the fact that they're not able to get any of those wins against teams they're trying to get in the tournament against, like St. John's, like Butler, is concerning. Obviously, that Memphis win has lost a lot of steam. They obviously were 15-2 and lost four in a row with an awful lot home loss to Rice yesterday. When they scheduled UCLA, they probably figured UCLA wouldn't be as bad. Um, they did beat North Carolina. They did beat Texas Tech. And same thing, Maryland, they beat them, but I think they anticipated when they scheduled that, Maryland being better than what they are. So Villanova really needs to finish the year strong to, you know, kind of find their way in the tournament. So, Michael, let's shift to you with Villanova. One, what the hell is wrong with them? Two, is it too early to fire Kyle Neptune? And three, give us some insight on that Butler double overtime game.
2: Yeah, so just to start with Villanova, It doesn't look like the guys are on the same page. It just looks weird. Like, they don't feel like they're on the same page on either offensively or defensively. They just don't feel like they're playing as a unit. They look much more as a group of individuals. Uh, So, from that perspective, that feels like what's wrong. Like, some of the older veterans just feel like they're just out there just cashing checks, really. Like, they don't – they're not giving it everything they got is what it looks like from the outside looking in. And part of that definitely is they're just not on the same page and maybe they're not, like, guys aren't where they're supposed to be or something like that, or they're not where expected to be. So you throw a pass and it's like a step off and it like ruins everything. Uh, But if Nova misses the tournament with this roster, it would not surprise me if they fire Neptune. I think if he makes the tournament, I think he's safe. I think without a doubt, I think if he misses the tournament, I think he could leave. Uh, Definitely not, not a hundred percent certain on that, but that would be my guess. And just from that Butler game, Nova got off to an excellent start, Butler just couldn't score, and then Butler chipped away and chipped away, and I don't know if you guys saw the bucket that sent it to overtime and double overtime for Butler, both wide open looks at the bucket, wide open, Telford has a wide open like dunk that sends it to overtime, it should have been an and one, frankly, he gets that free throw, he hits it, Butler wins that game in regulation, then the DJ Davis, it was like, same thing, spaced out set, uh, they had Dixon covering screen or Thomas up top, both regulation and overtime and Davis just kind of walked to the rim for a layup. So that was really weird, but it was a gutsy performance from Butler. Butler all things considered stole that one from Villanova. Villanova was the better team for the first 36 minutes of that game. Butler just went on a run, made everything down the stretch and took that one. Uh but yeah, just in terms of Villanova, it's a weird weird season in Philly.
3: So now while
0: we're on Butler I'm pulling up our Instagram because John and I posted our preseason power conference rankings for every team. I had Butler dead last in the Big East, both behind DePaul and Georgetown. Obviously, that was wrong. I think John did as well, actually. We both had Butler last. Um, And I don't think it was maybe behind DePaul and Georgetown DePaul. maybe it was a little far-fetched. DePaul. Obviously, hindsight is better than foresight. But... Fat that matter, last year was first ever losing season. They just, they didn't return a whole lot, and maybe we factor too much into the continuity factor. Well, we're talking about Villanova not having any continuity, and they're a disaster. So, why, what's clicked with Butler, you think, Michael, that, you know, they've sort of figured it out in their borderline, if not in, tournament team, when they were kind of projected to be towards the bottom of the conference?
2: These transfers have just gelled. It just fits well. Uh, Pierre Brooks has been a star. He wasn't a guy many people expected to come in and be like, even like what? You are probably expecting 10 points a game at him. He's a 17-point game guy. He's a legitimate star offensively. Uh, defensively, there's still some struggles, but this team is much better offensively than anyone would have expected. DJ Davis came over from uh, UC Irvine. He's been just incredible. I mean, he is a laser from deep, and he's a better slasher than he gets credit for. Pasha Alexander brought that leadership, that energy that this team really needed. And the pieces just fit. They just fit well. Um, Coach Mata did a great job of identifying guys early in the portal. They found their guys and they got them. And um, it just fits. Like everyone plays their role, they know their role. And when you have a scorer as good as PR Brooks, you're going to stay in a lot of games. And man, Brooks makes some just incredible individual plays. And Telford, too. Telford was the one guy they really got that a ton of uh, multiple other high majors really wanted. Butler was able to get him on campus, got him committed very quickly. And he's been. He's good. He's definitely taken a step back in Big East play before. He had an excellent game in Villanova, but if he had 22-10, uh, first double, uh, double-double of his collegiate career. But, man, he's been really solid. Brooks has been excellent. DJ Davis has been excellent. Pasha Alexander has been great. And the pieces is just really fit. The starting lineup fits really well together, and it's just a bunch of dudes that, that play hard together. They play well together. They play as a team, and they, it just it just fits. It works. It's a very good
3: coaching job by Coach Mata. Okay.
0: What about UConn? I mean, I I have UConn on here because when we think of title contenders, they're either the first or the second name. I think obviously they're defending chance, but they're either the first team or the second team I think of in terms of like for my money, who is going to win the national title? And again, a month from now we could be saying something totally different. I mean, especially in a year like this year, we'll. It's impossible to get a win on the road this year it, for anybody, really. Um, we see top 10 team after top 10 team in the country losing road games because of how difficult it is this year. Um, but UConn and I would say Purdue, I think are by far this year, the, like, I think they're on a tier of their own. I think they're the class of college basketball. So, John, what, what do you think of UConn's title chances? And I mean, should
3: they be the favorite right now? I
1: mean, they absolutely have to be the favorite. I think they're the best. They're the best basketball team in the country. I think they're better than they were last year when they did win the Natty. Um, It's hard. I mean, you talk about their title chances versus it's two different questions, right? Their title chances versus are they the favorite? Because, like, yes, I think they're the favorite, but um, it's so hard to repeat.
3: Yeah,
1: because. just the nature of the NCAA tournament, you know, it's one and done, right? One game, one one loss, and you're out, you know. And uh, and you know, they've only lost two games this year right? <laughs> so far, but, but it can happen, you know. Uh, everybody, er, you know, everybody in the tournament is always gunning for uh, for that win. So, um, but I love this UConn team. Like they go so deep. This team goes so deep. And there's so many great players on this team. I mean, how many NBA players are on this? team? You know, uh, I think Tristan Newton. The way that he's been, I mean, he's a. I think he's a All Amer- first team All American right now. Um, the way he's played, he has really came into his own this year. Um, he's been uh, unreal as a ball handler and, uh, and a playmaker. Um, this is big, strong backcourt that they have. The toughness. Um, we've talked about before you know like this fuck you attitude that they have of they're gonna go out there and they're gonna win this basketball game you know they're gonna beat you and they're not gonna stop you know they're, they're, they're relentless there's so much energy around this team um, hurley's done a great coaching job i think it's hard um you know we've seen some teams kind of have that uh that you know that hangover where you know they make such a big run they put so much into it you know kind of like the Super Bowl hangover football where Um, It takes so much to win a championship in a year and you start the next season and there's these big lofty expectations and they lost lost some players in the NBA off this team, you know, and to come back the way they have and be so dominant. Um, And Klingon is just now kind of coming into his own. We were talking about him as a lottery pick in the beginning of the season and then he had the injury and then they kind of were messing around with his minutes coming back and, you know, and he wasn't getting a whole lot of run, and we were talking about on here, like, plus going on with You know, and now he's just playing dominant, you know? <laughs> he's still not getting, like, a whole bunch of minutes. I mean, he doesn't need to, you know, necessarily, and we kind of talked about that, too, you know, but um, it's team is just getting bigger, you know, and any night, you know, one night it might be Cam Spencer, you know, one night it might be Caravan, you know, Stephon Castle, uh, you know, Samson Johnson's been playing really well. I've been really impressed with the way he's been playing. So uh, this whole team, I'm, I'm impressed, and believe me, I'm, I'm so mad about uh, when they beat Duke and the Natty, and I do not want to like UConn, and I'll try to pick them back as much, pick them apart as much as I can, but the fact is, is you know they're the, uh, they're the best team in the country, and I've watched some uh, Purdue. I want to see them play Purdue
0: because yeah. I
1: think that would be such a fun matchup. Um,
0: and Stefan Castle just had what twenty points the other night. He's yeah. You're talking about singing, Castle is, you know, also yeah. playing his best basketball right now.
1: They probably got two lottery picks on this team.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, they're a great team. They just beat. They beat down Xavier. I was just talking to somebody before that game started about Sean Miller. I love Sean Miller. He's my favorite. One of my favorite coaches in basketball. You know what I mean. And, and he's a good defensive coach. Like His team's played defense, you know, and he just got beat down by 43 points. I don't think I've ever seen a Sean Miller team get beat down like that. Yeah. You know, just beat down, run out of the gym. You know. um,
3: they're incredible. Michael, what do you
2: think? Should, Vill- or should UConn be, are they sort of the team to beat right now? I feel like right now they have to be the team to beat. I don't. Dave, the game against Xavier, I didn't watch many of it because I, when I got done doing a show, the game was like well in hand already. It's like, all right, well, we already know this one's playing. But before that, I didn't felt like they had that certain moment where I'm like, this team is a national title. Like this team will win the national title. I don't feel like I've had that moment yet. Like that I did with last year, like early in the season. It's like, this team is killing everybody. Then they kind of slumped in Biggie's play. But like as soon as like the tournament hit and like I believe it was their game against Gonzaga where they just smoked Gonzaga, it's like this team, nobody's beating them. This is it. This is nobody is beating them. So I feel like I don't feel like I've had that moment with this team yet. I don't feel like I don't know if they have the ceiling last year, but as of right now, they're the best team in the country. They're just winning. Other teams are just finding, are just losing. Yukon isn't. Uh, I think their game this weekend could be tough. I think it's a tough matchup against St. John's, but. This team, this UConn team, is really, really good. And they are levels above everybody in the Big East right now. And frankly, they're a decent bit above everyone in the country. I mean, this team is really good.
0: So, I'm looking at Ken Palm from each year, basically the national champion. UConn this year is third in offense and 23rd in defense. So I started looking and said, okay, well, what have the previous national champions really been defensively? Because, yes, 23 is obviously great given there's 362 teams. But they compare very favorably to Baylor in 21, who was second in offense and 22nd in in defense. And I feel like that Baylor national championship team, they kind of flew under the radar because of the fact that Gonzaga went undefeated that year. But that Baylor team went 28-2 and won the national championship and beat the hell out of undefeated Gonzaga that year. So, I mean, that seems to be the blueprint in terms of, like, the layout of elite offense, not quite elite defense, which the defense almost may be a little skewed because of the time Klingon missed. When Klingon's on the court, they're even, they'll, they might be one of the top five best offensive teams in the country. So, yeah, I think I agree with John here in terms of I want to see UConn and Purdue. I do think Purdue is right up there with UConn in terms of classic college basketball this year. Because this Purdue team, I, I know what's happened the last three losses in the NCAA tournament. I'm aware of that. But they have the best player in the country, Purdue, and Zach Eady, Uh Back-to-back, most likely, national player of the year. And Lance Jones just gives them an element that they did not have last year. Or really any year. So I, I do... Uh, I believe when this year started, I thought it was going to be a Tennessee over Purdue in the national championship. Now I'm saying it's UConn over Purdue. And again, I still love Tennessee. I just don't know. Cause Tennessee, I think is like, let me pull it up on Ken Palm. I think the 30th on offense, the 30th on offense is second on defense. And typically teams that are built that way, that don't have an elite offense that are kind of predicated off their defense tend not to Win the national championship, especially when the offense is so much fun with through Don and Connect, who's literally averaging 30 points a game over the last seven. Um, so, yeah, UConn, we all agree. I don't know what Yukon's title odds are right now, but they have to be the favorite. Um, meanwhile, another
1: like, team, another team that I think is really, and they're right beside UConn and Kimpong, I think would give them a great game. It's kind of similar build, as Arizona. I know they've lost a couple games this year they shouldn't have, but uh, they've been hot here late. They started off hot, and I really like the Arizona build, and I think that they would give UConn a great matchup.
0: So Purdue is plus 700. They're the favorites. UConn second, plus 900, tied with Houston, just to give perspective. For UConn to make the Final Four, they're plus 200. So there you go. Um, Arizona, I like. I... I like them a lot more before some of these bad losses. I'm not out on them, obviously. But, what, they lost to Oregon State, they lost to Sanford, and they lost to Washington State. Which, Washington State might be a tournament team this year with the way they've been playing, but that Oregon State loss and that Sanford loss, I obviously was not a fan of. Stanford beat the hell out of them, but Sanford didn't miss a shot. They scored 100 points that game. I mean, they were on fire. And Oregon State, obviously, they lost by three. Um But yeah, so the last thing I want to talk about is John and I did our Bracketology 1.0 show about a month ago. How many teams do we foresee getting into the NCAA tournament from the Big East? So let's see. We have obviously UConn, Marquette, Creighton. We agree that all three of those teams are in. I think those those are the only three teams that are locked right now. We both agree? Okay, I,
2: yeah, I think St. John's is approaching lock territory, but yeah, I think those three are like the only for sure.
0: I think the issue with St. John's that I have is that they're two and six in quad one, but the seven and seven overall in quads one and two. So I think given the five and one and quad two, they'll be fine. I just don't know if I would consider them a lock. But yeah, no, I think they're on the yeah. right side of the bubble. All of a sudden, Xavier, I'm looking on bracketologist.com. Xavier's on the right side of the bubble, which I don't think anybody really anticipated, given how Villanova, Providence, and Butler, and Seton Hall all were in the field. And now they're all on the outside looking in, according to this, at least. Um, So between those nine teams, I don't know how you don't put Seton Hall in, quite frankly. They're 4-4 and in quad one. Obviously, they have the wins over UConn and the win over Marquette. But what do we think? Between and Hall, Butler, Providence, Villanova, Xavier, those five teams, how many realistically get in?
3: I think in total,
2: I think the Big East ends up with six. I think that feels about right. You get the big three, and then three of the St. John's, Providence, Xavier, Butler, Villanova, Providence-ish tier. I don't know if I said Providence twice.
0: So, the big three, I, and then you said three more, Michael. Yeah, I
2: think that's probably the most they can get, and I feel like that's what they end up with.
0: Oh, I think they could get seven. You don't think they could get seven?
2: I think it's possible, but I don't think it happens well, very often. Well,
0: here's my thing. The ACC, I think, at this point, gets three. Maybe four, but I think they only get three. And I don't know how many, the, how many do the Big Ten get realistically. So I think by default, unless you want to put like eleven Big Twelve teams in, which we're not going to, uh, I think the Big East could squeeze out seven. Again, I don't have it in front of me; I'm just spitballing. So when I actually sit down and do my next version of bracketology, I'm sure that'll change things. But just based off what the other power, the Pac-12 is going to get, what they have Arizona, then who? Utah's lost two in a row, or they probably get Oregon. Colorado's lost a few in a row. Washington State, so what? They get three or four. I just, I don't see where the other teams are coming from that I think. So let's go through. UConn, Marquette, Creighton. St. John's is in right now. So that's four. So, Michael, you think between Xavier, Villanova, Providence, Butler, and Seton Hall, they get two?
2: I think probably more times than not, they just get two of those.
0: Okay. John, what do you think? Out of those 19s, how many do you think get in?
1: Yeah, I was saying that. I was saying six too. Um, Like you said, UConn, Marquette, Creighton, I think they're in. Um, I think St. John's is going to make up for those quad one losses with some quad one wins towards the end of their season. They have opportunities to do that. Um, So that's four. I think, like you said, Xavier has a very winnable schedule coming out. for the rest of the season. They have Marquette twice, but other than that, um a game at Creighton, I think they I think they could have a chance to win uh against Creighton. Um and then they have like a bunch of DePaul and Georgetown and stuff like that. So I think that xavier has a pretty winnable schedule. Um I think I think Providence is gonna is gonna drop um in the big east. Um and then like you said you got Butler and Seton Hall. Um, I could very well see uh, one of those teams making it. So it's going to depend a lot on who you know slugs it out towards the end of the season. Somebody's going to get hot, and we're not even talking about probably. You know, um, somebody's going to have a good run in the Big East tournament. And you know, we're talking about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the ACC. Should they probably get three bids? like, yes. Are they probably going to get five? Yes. Because there is no marker of who gets in and who does not and it is up to a selection committee and they're going to favor big market teams. Um, the Big Ten is ratings. ACC is ratings. Pac-12, you know, and that's just what's, what's going to play out. So I think there's going to be some teams from those big conferences that probably don't deserve to go in. Um, I also think that, you know, we talked about the Mountain West getting a lot of bids. I think they might only be like a three-bid conference by the time we get. Oh, they'll get to
0: more the than i I'll take the overall,
1: that. I'm just telling you, man, like how many times have we seen these teams, these conferences that should be getting extra bids that aren't getting extra bids and they're going to. Be, well,
0: the like, Mountain West has gotten four. Mountain West has gotten four each the last so, two years.
1: And it's a slugfest in there. It's a slugfest. Okay. So, so say they are a four-bid team. I mean, a four-bid conference. They probably should have more than that, you know? So, I think
0: San Diego State, I think Boise, and... Utah
1: State. Utah
0: State, and I think Colorado State's still in. So those are four. Colorado State and New Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico.
1: New Mexico. Say, yeah. So Colorado State's a maybe, I think, and Nevada's a maybe, I think. You know?
0: Nevada's a maybe, yeah. Which
1: is crazy, how well
0: Colorado State was doing, and now they're...
1: I don't know. And how, well, you know, Nevada was great. they was a three and four in that conference. It's such a tough conference. You yeah. uh, know? So, the Slugfest, so we'll we'll see. Um, I think there probably are seven tournament teams in the Big East that deserve to be in there, but it just comes down to, like, how many are actually going to get the invites and how many are going to be, you know, pissed off on Selection Day. (laughs) Um, So,
0: I forget what I was listening to. I was listening to some college basketball something, and... Basically, they said, oh, yeah, Seton Hall has wins over UConn, they have wins over Marquette, and they have a win over St. John. St. John's. But they said, oh, yeah, all three of them were at home. None of them are on there. The only road win they have, really, is against Butler. I'm like, so I, I understand it's obviously tougher to get a road win, but, like, are they really being penalized for beating UConn and Marquette because it was at home and not on the road? But that's the nature of this year where we just talked about how all these top 10 teams are losing road games. It's. I think that's a lot of it. What's going to come down to is, are you going to get a quad one win on the road against these teams rather than at home? I really think that's going to factor into it this year. Yeah.
1: Well, they have an opportunity. They got Villanova on the road, St. John's on the road, Creighton on the road, UConn on the road. So they have a chance to kind of prove themselves on the road. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the season.
0: Okay. So, yeah, well, you guys are saying six. I'll say seven. I, again, I have to – When John and I do an extractology show, I'll really have to dig into it, but I I just think there's too many good teams. I think all nine of those teams are all tournament teams, but obviously they're not gonna get nine. So okay. Um I have nothing else to add, John. Do you have anything to add?
1: No, I think I'm pretty good. Okay,
0: Michael, anything you want to plug?
2: Yeah, uh, Ding and DeRosa, that's me and Chris Thedinga. Uh, we do a good show. Uh, just talking all things about Hoops. I love it. And Road to the Garden. Uh, follow myself on Twitter, MD the Dream. I tweet all this shit out, too. Yeah, living life. Always, always fun. I talk hoops. Uh, fun being here, guys.
0: Yeah, again, we appreciate you coming on to talk some Big East. Yeah. So, again, rate, review, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore NBA, well, that's N-B-A-G-E-L-L. Follow John on Twitter at John Simpson 42 Follow the show on Twitter at one underscore and underscore Dunpod. Follow us, TikTok, Instagram. We're always posting content. We're trying to do a couple more player interviews prior to March Madness, a couple coach interviews as well that we have lined up, so be on the lookout for that. And John and I will talk to you guys next episode. Thanks for listening.